invite you to open up your Bible or power the one on in your hand or turn the one in your book rack to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, that's in the New Testament, one of the four Gospels, talks about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Uh, Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 51. As you're turning there, I get to do several things. First of all, I want to announce, uh, we're, you might have noticed the coffee was different this morning. We, yeah, you get excited about that. Uh, we announced our partnership with uh, Indie Coffee Roasters. We've now, rather than just using Starbucks, we're using a locally uh, roasted coffee right here in Hamilton County. Great socially conscious, um, yeah, coffee roaster. It's delicious. And uh, thank you to Indie Coffee Roasters. They're helping us save thousands of dollars as well as we can make an even greater impact in the community. So better coffee, saving money, awesome deal. Go buy more Indie Coffee Roasters coffee in downtown Carmel. Second thing I'll get to do with you is to tell you the story. See, we're kicking off this teaching series called Stop Waiting, and it's got like a sandcastle there. And some people have asked me, dude, that is amazing. Like, who made that? And the truth is, I'm, I made that. I, I made, <laughs> I really know. No one has believed that at any service. <laughs> I could never do that. That actually is our graphic designer, Megan, is amazing, and she helped create that for multiple things. But it's a sandcastle for a reason. How many of you know the exact day and time you are leaving for spring break? Anybody out there, you know the day spring break is coming here. Yeah, a few of you here at this service. The rest of you, I don't know what's wrong with you, but this is the time of year. It's gray outside. It's snowing again, right? And, and people, they have that seasonal depression starts sitting in, and we think, man, I'm just going to survive until the spring gets here. And we live for that future moment. We want to talk about just a short two-week series, a little shot in the arm for you, of what it means to stop waiting and live your life now fully for Christ. That none of us here are guaranteed another day. What would it look like today to start living for Christ in the areas that you could? You might not think that's significant, but what I find is that for many of us, we don't really understand the value and the significance that God has on our life. It's huge. And I believe today could be a turning point for many of you. See, I think I don't have any stats to back this up, but I think that 99.999999% of human beings think God doesn't, thinks God doesn't want to do anything significant with their life, which is contrary to what the Bible teaches us. The Bible teaches us that you, yes, you, were created with a purpose and a plan, and it's a good plan to make an impact with the life he has given you. It's you in a unique impact that others can't make that he's calling you into. And I want to describe that today to you, that you could have a turning point. And I've been reminded, uh, I, I lived a lot of my adult life in Southern California. My wife's from there, but people think I grew up there. I didn't grow up there. I grew up in a small town in Indiana. And I, I remembered the, one of the turning points in my seventh grade year. It was when I was playing on the seventh grade basketball team. We had an average height of about five foot four. It's amazing. And we were about to play a team who had most of their starting lineup over six foot tall in seventh grade in a small town. And I remember our coach, he was a legendary coach in our community, Coach Haviza. They actually named the gym after him today. And our seventh grade year, we had won a lot of games, but he told us, you haven't beaten a single good team. <laughs> what coach says that? He's like, most of those teams weren't very good. This team we're about to play tomorrow is a very good team, maybe even a great team. 
And it's not until you beat a team like this that you actually demonstrate your potential. And I always remember that moment. You know what happened? We worked hard. We got ready. And I remember that next day, we played against a team that was way bigger than us, had some guys who would go on to play Division I basketball. And you know what happened? We beat them, baby. We took it to them. And you know what happened after that? We started believing we could do more. And, and you know what we went on to do? We won the county tournament in our little town. As a seventh grade kid, I remember riding a school bus into town and they had a parade for us. It was awesome. Like, I always remember some of those moments, but it, took, it came at a cost, a lot of hard work, devotion. See, what I want to describe to you today through Luke chapter 9 is that this could be a turning point for some of us as Christians in our faith. We spent four weeks looking at how God wants to do immeasurably more, and he's the one that does it, not us. All our striving and hard work isn't what's going to accomplish it. It's going to be his power, his authority. And sometimes he works very slowly in our lives. But the other side of that coin is this, that for some time, some of us in our life, we know there are things that we could do today and to see God achieve in our life, but it's going to require something of us. It's going to come at a cost and we need to stop waiting to do it. Let me give you an example. Some of us know that if we understood the Bible better, we would grow closer to the Lord, but we have to actually open up our Bible and lean into that and start reading it. Some of us today, we have destructive patterns that we've developed in our dating life. And we know, we know it is hurting us spiritually. You don't have to wait for God to tell you what to do there. You need to start addressing that today. Some of us, we have difficult conversations that we've been avoiding in our marriage. We know our marriage won't move forward in a productive way until we address it, but we avoid it. We need to stop waiting and start doing something about it today. Some of us have family members or friends or loved ones or coworkers who don't know the good news of Jesus. We have people who need their physical needs met in our community, and you and I are meant to be the hands and feet of Jesus. These basic things we know we should be doing, we need to stop waiting and start living fully for Christ today. This message today is very personal to me. It's when I fully understood this as a 19-year-old drinking every night at the fraternity house that I finally understood the significance of God-given life. That you weren't just meant to give your life to Christ and to go to heaven when you die. That's one part of the good news. You were meant to receive the grace and forgiveness of Jesus and then go join with him in a two-fold mission to help people in need and to share your faith. And you only get so many years to do it. And we don't know when our clock's going to run out. And that God wants to use you, yes, you, to do something significant with your life. And sometimes it's doing the most simple tasks. That's what I'd love to show you. Ready, study God's word, church. See, the, the gospel of Luke, I love it. You get details you don't get in the other gospels. Luke was a very educated man. He traveled with Paul. He was an early first century physician or pharmacist if there was such a thing. To translate the Gospel of Luke, which was a part of a greater book called Luke-Acts, Luke talked about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Acts talked about how the early church get, got started. Both are in the Bible today. To translate those was much more difficult because the Greek is much more complex. Where if you look at the Gospel of John and some of John's writings, he was an uneducated man, and it was much easier, it's still today, much easier to translate. And so Luke gives us some details in his gospel that we don't get in others. And one of my favorite passages is Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 51. And verse 51 says this, as the time approached for him to be taken to heaven. See, Jesus knows 
this is significant, most Lucan scholars believe verse 51 is the turning point in the entire gospel of Luke. Perhaps the most important verse for his ministry and mission. He knew he was going to go to heaven. By the way, if you're a Christian today, you've received the grace and forgiveness of Jesus. You, you know you have personal salvation because of his atoning sacrifice on the cross. You could be forgiven for your wrongdoing. And now you're called to live on mission. You're going to, you can go to heaven when you die. But you know that your time is short, just like Jesus understood. The clock was ticking. And it was time to get to the most important part of his ministry. Until that point, he had been doing a lot of teaching and healing and traveling around. And now it says, Jesus resolutely, resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He knows he's going to go to the cross. He knows he's going to be crucified and on the third day raised again. And now he fixes his eyes on that city and the mission that's before him. Everything else becomes secondary. Because of that, read with me now. If you go down to verse 57, it says, you hear the story of these three people who come ask Jesus what it means to follow him. If we're going to stop waiting and start living our life for Christ today, here's what Jesus says of how you follow him and be his disciple. Verse 57, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. That sounds cool, right? He's like, Jesus, I'm all in, baby. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop waiting. I'm going to live today. I'll go wherever you want me to go. You want me to go to do some crazy stuff? For you? I'll do it. Look what Jesus tells him to do. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He says, I want to do something big for you, Lord. Jesus says, go find me a pillow. Find me a place to lay my head tonight. I always found that ironic. That actually what he asks of him is the simple task to meet his physical need in that moment. Teaching this person that to follow Jesus means that you have to meet the needs, the physical needs of other people. You and I know that as a Christian, we are called to help people who are in need. I shared this last weekend. If it's ever below zero again, I, we're going to need to get some donated mattresses or cots or whatever because we're going to open this building up for people who don't have heat in their homes or living on the streets. No reason somebody should be out in the cold like that. As Christians, we are called to meet the physical needs of people. That's part of our twofold mission. He, he, and here's how Jesus responded right after that. Another man comes up to him and said, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. <laughs> that makes sense, doesn't it? He's like, I'm all in. My dad died. Let me go bury him. Look how Jesus responds. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Woo! We don't usually tell people, considering Christianity, that verse. Like, I, that is offensive. Scholars will say that's offensive in every culture, in every religion, including the Jewish religion. He tells them, don't go and bury your dad. Don't go practice those customs. The, the mission is so urgent so urgent. You need to begin to follow me today. And what did it say there in verse 60? It said, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Proclaim the kingdom of God. Verse 60 in Luke chapter 9. You see, proclaiming the kingdom of God, what Jesus came to do, he did not just say, believe in me and go to heaven when you die. That's an amazing part of the good news of Jesus. But what he told them was, repent for what? The kingdom of God is at hand. That God's reign has begun. That, that this dark world now has the light of Christ in it. That the brokenness, you and I are called to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this dark and broken world. He says, go and proclaim that good news, the coming kingdom of God to, to each other. 
We are to help those in need and to share our faith. That twofold mission always goes better together than it does apart. One, if we just proclaim and we don't help physical needs, we just have shallow faith. If we meet needs and don't proclaim the kingdom of God, we don't really ex- explain why we're doing what we're doing and the greater spiritual significance at stake. The third and final thing it says, though, as you help those in need and share your faith, verse 61, still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. <laughs> what? Did you catch that? Moms, did you just catch that? He just said, uh, I'll go, I'll follow you, Jesus, I'll do whatever you want, but first let me say goodbye to my family. He's, he says, no, don't go say goodbye to your kids, just leave them. Because Jesus hates children. I don't know if you knew that. He just, no, he's, he loves children. He says, let all the little children come to me, right? Like his heart is for kids in the next generation. Well, why is he saying this? We'll see at the very end here, he's actually referring to a, a passage in 1 Kings chapter 19, and he's declaring to them, things have changed. As of this moment, things have changed. There is an urgency to our mission and our faith. The big idea this morning is this, that you and I need to stop waiting to resolutely serve God, to fix our eyes as Jesus did on the mission he had before him. You and I are called to pick up our cross daily and do the same thing. Will you pray with me? God, I pray that this morning this could be a turning point for for many of us in this room, that we go from a Christian that just wants to receive from you to one that wants to be used by you to make an impact with the short time we've been given. We pause in the busyness of our day And we acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit in the room with us right now. May you speak to us, Lord Jesus. We love you. We praise you. It's in your name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Man, those are some hard words he just shared. And to hear them takes a lot of trust and understanding. And I'm going to tell you, I believe the hardest mission that Jesus has given me in my particular life is I don't know what yours is, but mine is definitely to raise three young children. I got a picture of my kiddos. Oh, aren't they cute? That's because you don't know them. <laughs> my wife, she got mad last night when I said that, but the, the truth is my, my, my daughter, she is really sweet. I'll give her a pass. The other two, whoo, pray for me, man. I'm not going to share the details, but after I preached last night, there was an incident at the Chick-fil-A in Westfield and I had to refrain from blowing up on the three-year-old because of some uh, mistakes that he made. And raising a kid can be very difficult. It's taught me a lot about what my Heavenly Father must think of me. And in particular, that the youngest son, Jet, he's three, and he's you know, gone through that stage where he's talking back and some of the stuff and having little toddler meltdowns. And uh, something happened the other day where he knows on a Friday it's family fun day for us. They get to use technology and do fun things uh, after they get home from school. And so they're looking forward to it. Well, Jet had made a mistake. While he was traveling in the van with my wife, he had politely told my wife to keep her mouth shut. Now, if any of you know Lisa, that didn't go over so well (laughs) with Lisa. And she made it very clear she was never going to talk to her that way again. So he lost privileges and all kinds of stuff until he, like, I think he had to pick up his room and apologize. So when he got home, he naturally ran upstairs, cleaned up his room, and went straight to his mom and apologized to her on the spot. 
Oh, no way. No way. You, are, you have lost your mind if you think the three-year-old's going to do that. What does he do? He avoids it at all costs. He's never going to clean your room. Mom's an evil person. And then he does, you ever see a kid do this? Like for like three hours straight, he walks up to her like this and then stands there. You know what I'm talking about? Says nothing and turns around and walks away because <laughs> he just can't get the words out. It's too painful. Some of us, we know there are things right now in our life that our heavenly father, parenting us wisely, has asked us to change, to repent of, to confess, to change, to begin to live differently. And we know it's really simple, but it's very difficult and hard, and so we avoid it and avoid it and avoid it. And I just sometimes look back at my life when I have done that, and I think, man, I must have looked like a silly, spoiled toddler to him. Rather than leaning into some of those hard and difficult things, the example Jesus had set for us, the urgency that our mission has given, why are we wasting so much time like a little kid avoiding the things we know we need to address? We could talk about God doing immeasurably more, but if we don't address those aspects right now, the addictive habit, if we don't address it, we could talk about everything else, but if we don't address this issue, we're not going to be able to be used by God to do some of those things. If our marriage is falling apart, we're not searching out help, we're not going to be able to see God use us together. If, if we're struggling right now in an area of our life spiritually where we know we need to confess it to somebody, not so that we could feel like we're a bad or horrible person or condemned forever, but so that we could be freed from it. We need to stop waiting and start living for it now. And in Luke chapter 9, Jesus resolutely set his eyes to the mission that's set before him. And then he calls us to this twofold mission to help people in need and to share our faith. And I want to give you just three quick thoughts about this if you're taking notes of how you can start applying this today. And the first one is this. Stop waiting to serve others. You got verse 57 to 58, right? He said, this guy says, I'll follow you wherever you go. And he says, I need a pillow or a bed meet my physical needs today. There are people in your life right now that you could meet their physical needs. It's right before you, and we're all so busy. We can't find time to serve. It would require us to set things aside in our life and prioritize that in that moment. Maybe you can think of an example in your life today. I know this has happened to me. A number of years ago, I had a neighbor reach out to help, and I talked to him for a while, and I never followed up with him. And I never helped him with the issue that was going on in his life. Maybe you've been there. Man, we gotta, it, it requires something. Here's what Jesus required of the early disciples. If you go all the way back to the beginning of Luke 9 and verses 1 through 6, read this with me. He calls them to this great mission. He wants to use your life. Verse 1 in, in Luke 9, when Jesus had called the 12 together, he... It says that he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and cure diseases. That sounds pretty cool. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He says, guys, I'm going to send you out with all my power and authority. Go out and change this world. Woo, sounds awesome. Read verse 3. <laughs> he told them, take nothing for the journey. No staff, no, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Right? Okay, did you imagine Judas sitting there? What are you talking about no money? <laughs> right? I'm not so sure about this. I imagine some of them imagine like the no extra shirt. Like that just sounds gross to me. Anybody? I put like hand sanitizer on like 37 times a day. Like no extra shirt. I'm not doing that. <laughs> Especially in that culture. Gross. 
all of us, it's going to come at a cost to serve others, to actually prioritize it in our life. He goes on in verses uh, 4 through 6. He says, whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. If God came here today, okay, Jesus like all of a sudden showed up and he said, I want you to leave everything. Take no money, no purse, no, no extra clothes, nothing. Just go and proclaim the coming kingdom of God. <laughs> what would your reaction be? Jesus needs to find Jesus, <laughs> right? Like, that's crazy. There's no chance I'm ever doing that. I don't know that God is calling you to leave everything and go to another country and tell a people group that doesn't know about Jesus about him, but I'm not telling you he's not. I'm not telling you that God is calling you to leave everything you've been doing at your work and, and go minister to people in your community and live a crazy lifestyle, but I'm not telling you he's not either. I am telling you that he is going to come. It's going to come at a cost. And it's why most Christians never get to see God use their life to do immeasurably more because the simple basic things that they're called to do, they avoid it and don't do them. Am I preaching too much today? Because I... I don't want to offend or make anybody feel like overly guilty. That's not the goal here today. If you're new to Christianity, we believe the church should be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints, that no one is too far from God to experience life change through Jesus. But the beautiful thing is that anybody, if you encounter Christ, he can use you significantly to change the world. And we got to stop living as if all the things in our life aren't that important. I just want to get through life so I can eventually get to spring break, so I can have a few fun moments, some nice holidays, maybe some good weekends, a few extra beverages, and then I can know that I did something that at least I enjoyed my life. You've missed the point. I don't want to be laying on the bed in a hospital room thinking about, all, man, all the, yeah, I did all that stuff that I can't even remember half of the experiences because it really wasn't significant to anyone other than me. What does it look like to live for others in your life? They have to live everything and believe it was for other people. Number two, if you're taking notes, stop waiting to serve others, but stop waiting for a convenient moment. This one might be the most important one for some of us. You're like, I'm going to serve you. And you've been a Christian for decades, right? Like, you know Jesus. You're going to heaven. You, you've, you've been a part of an outpost. You've actually been involved. But you, but you have never fully done what you know God is asking of you. And you keep waiting and waiting because you're just like, okay, God, you, you got to like align the stars and then I'll do it. Stop waiting for a convenient moment. Remember what he told the second person. He said, follow me. He replied, first, Lord, let me go and bury my father. That makes sense. Like that's not even convenient. That's just respect. And Jesus told him, had the audacity, said, let the bed, dead bury their own dead. You go and proclaim the kingdom of God. That's the urgency. So if you're sitting there going, I'm going to get around to it eventually, you don't understand the urgent nature of some of the things God's calling you to do. You don't, maybe you don't know your specific calling of like a job or a career. I think we overdo that sometimes. But you know your general calling to help those in need, to share your faith, and do it without looking back. And for some of us, we need to stop waiting for that convenient moment and understand it's probably never going to be convenient. Any great thing God uses you to do is we start three churches by August here in three different directions and eventually a fourth up in Anderson, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be convenient for anyone. That's not why we're doing it. 
We're not doing it to have a thousand people in one church end up in four locations. We're doing it to send hundreds of people out to reach all gob of people who don't know Jesus, who are dying spiritually, and we have the good news that the Lord asks us to proclaim to them both in word and deed. In our communities, when it's done that way, they love us for it. When it's done like we're the righteous ones and you're the bad people, they hate us for it. Meet the physical needs. Proclaim the coming kingdom of God out of love for them. That's why uh, in verse 23 and 24, earlier in chapter 9 of Luke, Jesus said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple, by the way, this is before he went to the cross, must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. He's he's like, you're going to have to give up your life for this. Jesus saving the world came at a cost. And you being used by God to do immeasurably more is going to come at a cost. There's no way around it. It's not going to be convenient. That's why Paul wrote in Galatia, to the church in Galatia, one of his earliest letters. He said in uh, verse, chapter 2, verse 20, he said, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live is in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He said, just like God, or Jesus gave up his life, I have given up my life. I've been crucified with Christ and no longer live, but the life I now live is through faith in the Son of God. He also wrote to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that once you encounter Jesus and you receive his grace and forgiveness and truly dedicate your life to him, you are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. You become transformed, and now your whole life is different. In the Gospel of John, he tells them that you are going to be born again, that you are a new creation in the same sense that You are now born of spirit, and so now you have a mission that you're called to live on to help people need and share your faith. But I thought I was supposed to, like, work harder at work so I could get a nicer house and have more kids and have everything that people like in this world. Those things aren't in and of themselves bad, and sometimes Christians do a a really bad job and, and make those things to be bad. They're not bad. They're just not the goal. The goal is to serve Jesus Christ first and foremost, to put everything else aside. If those things come, great, and if they don't, great. To drop everything, stop looking for a convenient moment, and stop waiting for that in our life. And maybe for some of you, the way that you're going to die to self and start living your faith out is in some very basic ways. Maybe it's like I mentioned, you're going to stop waiting to read your Bible. Maybe it's you're going to stop waiting to find community and to live on mission for Jesus. Our micro churches we call outposts, that's what they're designed for. And we have hundreds of people in our church that might be new in the last year, and you don't have an outpost that you're a part of yet. I want to encourage you to consider to be a part of one. And, and maybe you've looked around here and found a right one. The easiest way, actually, to, start, to have an outpost is to start one. Find people, five or six or seven, eight people that you already want to hang out with and start an outpost together. And say, hey, guys, we're going to commit to loving each other and, and being there for each other, reading scripture together, praying for each other, doing life with each other. And eventually then you're going to start living on mission together. We have three different types of outposts. Maybe you don't know this. Maybe your concept of outposts, we used to do a different job of communicating this, and we've redefined this in the last six months. That there are three different types of outposts, ones that are focused like a life group, kind of on community and growing together spiritually, and they're not ready to take on a mission yet. Maybe for some of the mission is the outpost, essentially. For some of them, they become a ministry of the church, kind of like the Rise Up Outpost that's helping lead Fight Club and the women's ministry and other items. And then there are some that are outreach-oriented, like Wrestling Theology or the other ministries that are trying to reach people outside the walls for Christ. There's a variety of different types. Find the one that's best for you and your family. Start it and start living on mission together. 
Stop waiting and saying, someday I'm going to find Christian community. Stop waiting to serve others as we just described and start joining number four or find a local church to actually participate and commit to. And I hope it's here. I hope it's here for decades, making the impact throughout the state of Indiana. We have a huge vision. But I say it all the time. If it's not here, that's okay, too. There are lots of great churches around, and we have a slightly unique uh, understanding of how we're trying to do church. And if that's not for you, that's cool. We always say there's no mercy road section of heaven when we die, right? Like it's just God's greater church. We're all going to be worshiping together. So begin to find a local church. And by the way, I don't care which one it is. You're never going to find a perfect one. You're going to have to walk through some stuff in every church that you're not going to like. But it's going to be worth it. Because the church isn't a worship service. It's community on mission. That's why our network of outposts are what we really see as the greater church more than just a worship gathering. We want you to begin to live that way, to reach your community for Christ. Maybe one of those, you need to stop waiting and start doing that now because we won't see three churches happen over the next uh, nine months together if we don't uh, pray and begin to actually chase after what God wants for us now, to stop waiting and start living on mission today. Third and final point, if you're taking notes, stop waiting for a convenient moment and then stop waiting on your first let me list. Your first let me list. We all got these. Look what it says in verse 61 again. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me. First let me for him was go back and say goodbye to my family. That sounds like a good one, right? To say, say goodbye to your, your husband or your wife or your kids or whatever. Go say goodbye to your parents. I mean, that makes sense. And Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. He's referring to a passage that most of the Israelites, the Jewish community at that time, would have been familiar with. It was the time where Elijah in the Old Testament passed off his ministry to Elisha, who would have a double portion of God's spirit. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 19 says this, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me, or excuse me, so Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, the whole reference to plowing Jesus makes. And he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. He says, let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? In the Old Testament, Elijah tells him, yeah, go back. Say goodbye to your family before you begin on this mission for God. And Jesus in the New Testament is declaring things have changed. The kingdom of God is at hand. There is a great urgency to our faith. And while we're not guaranteed another day, at any moment, Jesus may return and put this world as it should be. And it'll be a new heaven, a new earth, and we will live with God eternally in paradise. And we only get this short time we've got now to help those in need and to share our faith to make that twofold missional impact that every follower of Jesus is called to be on. We've got to stop waiting. Stop waiting on our first let me list. Uh, I'll do it, Lord, but first let me, I've got to get this career figured out right. I've got to figure this out. Uh, you know, I'm dating this person. I want to figure this part out first, whether I'm going to get married or not. First let me figure out some of my retirement and stuff. And it always becomes that next season. And what I find is the enemy loves to use that to distract us in our life. And it's like he's whispering to us over time, I, I know God's calling you to go start living and changing your life. I, I know you need to get rid of that addictive habit and address it. I know you need to confess that thing and be honest. I know you need to talk to your spouse about what's really going on in your mind and your life right now. I know you need to start pursuing the thing God's been calling you to for years, but you'll get to it eventually. 
just sit by and that just kind of calm you. Slowly go to sleep spiritually. So you spend the rest of your life talking about one day you're going to, one day you're going to, I'm going to get to it eventually. I'm going to do that thing you want me to do. And we slowly, spiritually fall to sleep. I want to tell you as we close out our time together, the New Testament, the message of Jesus requires us to stop waiting on the things we know we should be doing today. And it's going to come at a cost. And I'm reminded of the cost that Jesus paid for you and for me. And Luke 9, verse 22, that verse before, he says, pick up your cross daily. He said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed. And on the third day, be raised to life. So when he says that you pick up your cross daily, he knows that he had to set the example of the cost it was going to require. And we don't have crucifixion today, most well, not in our country. And we don't think that these things are going to require our life today because in our society we can be very comfortable in our faith. But if you're going to truly follow Jesus today, you're going to have to get uncomfortably close to him. You're going to have to stop waiting to serve other people. You're going to have to stop waiting for a convenient time. You're going to have to stop waiting for your first let me list of all the things you want to accomplish and say, I have died and no longer live. The life I live is through faith in the Son of God. I only get so many days on this planet. Use me. Because your friends right now, some of them, they're they're dying spiritually. And you do, we underestimate the impact that is doing to their lives right now beyond just their spiritual life. And God has placed you uniquely. You're his missionary to those people. And you have things right now that you've been waiting on to relinquish control of that area of your life. And God's calling you to say, today's the day it changes. This is a turning point. You can accomplish more than you think. And it's a whole lot more than beating a six-foot-tall, seventh-grade basketball team. He wants you today to start saying, I'm not going to put up with some of this stuff in my life anymore. Any uh, people old school in here, you remember Popeye? Remember that? Like they, after he'd had enough of all the stuff and taking olive and everything, he'd say, I, that's all I can stand. I can't stand no more. You remember that? It's like I said, some of you need to go, I can't, I'm not going to put up with this anymore. I'm going to stop waiting and acting like I'm never going to be one of those Christians God uses significantly in this world. I'm going to claim the good news of Jesus Christ and the power and authority to transform it. That's why we're starting these churches. That's why we're behind fully multiplied resources on the top floor of that new building over there. We want to proclaim the kingdom of God and help those people in need to make a spiritual impact that lasts for centuries or until Jesus returns. It's a great calling that not just Mercy Road is called to, but every follower of Jesus. And why do we diminish it into this little thing about I'm going to come and attend church for an hour so hopefully I feel good about myself so that I can go back and just survive my week. You have a lot more exciting life than that. It is an amazing journey that I will tell you every time I have tried to serve the Lord in a way that it required something of me at a cost. Sometimes I do it kicking and screaming, absolutely, but I've never regretted it one time. Because on the back end, when you see how God uses it, you get to celebrate that both all, all eternity and right now. I get to see people here every weekend who a year, two, three, four, five years ago did not know Jesus, that were far from him. I see people who their marriages were a wreck, I, I, and, and they had them healed. I saw people, I, I'm doing a marriage in, in March that they got divorced, and now they're getting back together, and they've surrendered Jesus is in the center of their marriage now. 
I, we've seen couples that literally had filed and it was all said and done and we sent them to the seminars and they still said we're done and then God just got a hold of them and they came back together and now their family's doing great. Like I want to tell you the good news of Jesus is very real. It's palpable. It works and that's the one thing our society and culture wants to know. Does it work? Yes. But only if you have the devotion that it's going to come with a cost and you lead that type of surrendered life. And so I'm going to invite you to respond to that with me. Will you bow your heads in prayer? Lord, we know you're God. We're not. We don't deserve your grace. We don't deserve your forgiveness. We don't deserve your work on the cross. And some of us here today, we know we got some dark stuff in our life right now that we need to confess to somebody. And so we're going to start with you. If that's you, I just invite you to pray this silently, not out loud. God, I confess this thing in my life. Say it to him, not out loud, just in the quietness of this moment. I need more of you, Lord. Forgive me, pray this, forgive me for my wrongdoing. I believe and receive your forgiveness, your grace, because of your work on the cross. I repent this beautiful thing, God, and turn my life over to you fully. I surrender everything. Use me, Jesus. Use me to help those in need and to proclaim your kingdom until you return, Jesus. We love you and we give you our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.